Good morning, church. I hope you're uh, excited to be here. It's always great to gather uh, together and worship God. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and get them out and open up to Romans chapter 12. That's where we'll be uh, this morning. We're continuing on in our series called Reengage. And so you, you've heard us talk about, you know, the pandemic has done some interesting things uh, in our society. And one of those things is it's kind of drawn people. You would think it would push them towards God, but in a lot of ways it's pushed people away from God. And we've kind of isolated ourselves. And because we've been isolated, uh, a lot of us have disengaged in our relationship with God. And so uh, this series is all about asking us to re-engage with Christ. Last week, we talked about re-engaging with Jesus through community. This week, we're going to talk about re-engaging with Jesus uh, through serving. And, and really what we've seen, when I think about serving, what we've seen God do uh, in the past six years, that's when we planted Connection Church here in Vidalia, uh, January 27th of 2015. Uh, what we've seen God do through our church over the past six years has been absolutely uh, incredible. It's been su significant when it comes to the kingdom of God. You know, I was thinking about, and I always keep this in front of you guys because I want you to know uh, what we're doing is making a difference. Uh, in the past six years, we've seen 262 people give their lives to Christ, be saved. They, they, they've get said, I want to be and, and to be who Christ has called me to be. And they've repented of their sins and turned to God. We've seen 350 people baptized, uh, basically standing before you to say, God has done a work in my life and I want the church to know it. I want the world uh, to know it. We've seen one connect group multiply into 24 different connect groups uh, all throughout this community and, and discipling people and growing together in our relationship with God. We've seen one church in Statesboro uh, multiply uh, to Vidalia, then multiply uh, to Millen, multiply to Dublin, to Savannah, to Athens, to now where one church is multiplied into six different churches that are all focused on one mission, and that mission is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And when I think about everything that God has done in and through our church, the one thing that, that probably just burst into my mind more than anything else are people that are heart and soul to serve at our church. I believe that is the reason that our church has been so successful. It's not because I'm a great preacher, not because our music is really good, not because uh, we, we do any certain thing. It's because of people like you and I, ordinary people, broken people, that are willing to say yes to Jesus and yes to I'm willing to do whatever it takes to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's been six years as I think about the future of our church and think about where we're going and the building and, and just continuing to plant more churches. I could not be more excited about the future of our church, not because of all those things, but because of the people that are gonna jump on board and God is gonna use them to do incredible things. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today is just this idea of serving. Romans chapter 12, verses one through eight is where we're gonna be. And so if you have your Bibles open there and I'm gonna read for us Romans 12, starting in verse one. It says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of what God has done, Paul has just spent 11 chapters in Romans laying out the gospel, laying out what Christ has done. He's taken sinful people and he has transformed their lives. He's sent a savior to justify them, to save them, to fill them with his spirit, uh, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, in view of that, 
Here's how we are to live our lives. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I want you to underline that. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your true and proper worship. You wanna be holy before God. You wanna please God. After Christ and the righteousness that he's giving you, the way we live that out practically is through serving, for this is our true and proper worship. This is the right way to respond to God. He says, verse two, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, when it comes to giving your life as a living sacrifice to God, there's a pattern that's in the world, and that pattern is not the same pattern of, of godliness. Godliness says this life is, is about Christ, and it's about giving up what we have to live for him. The world would teach you, live for you, do you. And Paul says, do not conform to that, but be transformed by Christ in the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. If you want to know God's will for your life, it's worship, it's giving your life, it's surrender to Christ and living for him. Verse three, which is our key text. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, talking about the church, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the other members. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us by God. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. It's important to understand kind of the context of Romans before we jump into this. I cannot emphasize enough that the first 11 chapters of Romans have been all about the gospel. Probably the most articulate piece of scripture we have is Romans through 11 on exactly what God did and exactly what it means for Jesus to die in our place and all of the result of that. And Paul, as he usually does in the Bible, he, he theologically teaches us how we should think, what we should believe about God, but then he makes a transition to say, this is how what we believe about God should shape how we live our lives. And literally, the first thing Paul jumps to when he thinks about application of the gospel in our life is serving in the church. He thinks about the body of Christ being the church and serving. And so what this tells us is that we as a Christian, we as the church should be known for our service in the church, outside the church, wherever we are. When people look at the church, the first thing they should think is, man, that bunch of people love to serve. They love to serve. And so that's what I want to point out to you uh, today is really three things that I believe this passage uh, can teach us. The first is this, that serving is a lifestyle. Serving is a lifestyle. It's not just something we do. It's who we are. 
to be a Christian is to serve. Secondly, it teaches us about God's design for the church. How, what is the church supposed to be? And I want us to kind of, any experience that maybe we've had with the church, I want us to kind of back off of that and say, okay, has my experience with the church modeled and, 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 and demonstrated what God's design for the church is? And I believe it teaches us about that. And then lastly, I wanna show you what happens when we embrace serving as a lifestyle and God's design for his church. So let's go. Number one, serving is a lifestyle. It's not just something we do, it's who we are. God didn't intend for us to turn serving on like an on and off switch, right? It's not like, a, uh, it's not like in your house where you flip the switch to turn the lights on and then when you get tired of the lights being on, you flip them off. That's not how God intended serving to work. Many times in the church, this kind of becomes uh, how we do it. Hey, I'm coming and today I'm serving in kids or I'm serving on the blue team or on the worship team or serving through teaching and then when I'm not serving, I'm not serving, right? And so we have this mentality of on, off. If I'm here, then I'm serving. If not, but God didn't intend it to be that way. He says the life of a Christian is the life of service. It's why you've heard me say before, we say at our church, saved people serve people. Saved people serve people. I want you to write that down. Saved people, people that have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, people that know Christ, have seen Christ for who he is and what he's done, serve other people. That's what we do because that's who we are. And Paul gives us two words here to describe the life of a Christian. He tells us that a Christian, uh, our lives are presented as a living sacrifice. And this is present tense. He says that we present our life every day as a living sacrifice. This is how we respond to Christ and what he's done in our life. As God, today, I want to give you my life. And God, I want to live my life for you. I want to serve. God, I want to live my life in response to what you've done for us. And now we live in a busy world. How many of us wake up every morning and can honestly say, I get down by my bed and I fall to my knees and say, God, I, I wanna live my life as a living sacrifice today. Our lives would be a lot better probably if we would do that, but we are in a constant whirlwind of busyness in our lives and many of us do not do that. I would encourage you to make that a routine that every morning when you wake up to spend time praying, God, help me live for you. God, I want to give my life. I don't wanna live for me. I want to live for you as a living sacrifice. This describes a life offered to God in total surrender and dedication. Paul's urging us. It says, therefore, I urge you to give yourself to God wholeheartedly. This is our head, not just what we think, not just uh, our heart and what we feel, but what we do. It's giving ourselves wholly to God, not just at salvation, but every day we give our life fully to God. You see, this is one of the biggest issues in our culture. Uh, we live in a culture that says you can be a Christian and be half in and half out. God, I want to be saved and not go to hell, but I don't want to live for you. I want to continue to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And this is not biblical Christianity. This is not the call of God on our lives. God says when we hear the gospel, we are to repent of our sin and turn to him. And then he says not just one time, but repent and turn continually from our sin, which is living for ourselves 
and living for God. It's a continual process where we live for God. We don't compartmentalize. We don't turn serving on or we don't turn worship on like a light switch, but we say, God, my life is yours today. Help me lead and help me walk in the way of God. It's the mindset that uh, the, the world would tell you that you can be in with God when it's convenient or when it's comfortable. Uh, but when those things are gone, I, I don't have to be in with God. I can do what I want to do. I'm in with God when it doesn't cost me anything or as long as I don't have to sacrifice anything, I'm good with that. But that is not biblical Christianity. I want you to write this down. Biblical Christianity is characterized by surrender, devotion, and sacrificial service. It always has been, and it always will be. Look at any believer in the Bible. When you see a true follower of Jesus, the posture of their life will be surrender, devotion, and sacrificial service. Because listen, the person we follow is a person of surrender, devotion, and sacrificial service, right? If we are, are not, if that's not being produced in our life, then we are not following Jesus, we're following ourselves. So here's three questions that I want us to consider that I think will help us embrace this service as a lifestyle and not just something that we do. Three questions, why we serve, how we serve, and what's the cost of our service? So the first is why do we serve? What's our motivation? Well, Paul tells us in this passage, he says, in view of God's mercy, present your body as a living sacrifice, right? So what that means is that in the Christian faith, we never move past the gospel. So it's not like we hear what Christ has done for us and who Christ is, and then we kind of graduate to a deeper chapter, right? We, we move on to where we don't have to think about what Christ has done. Part of the way God has designed the Christian life is that we will still wrestle with sin for the rest of our life, and through our wrestling with sin, our repentance brings us back to the gospel every day so that Christ and what he's done and who he is never gets old in our life. Now, I would tell you this, if, if you're wrestling with burnout in the Christian faith, it's most likely because you've forgotten the gospel. You've forgotten what Christ has done for you or either you've forgotten your need for it. And so as we grow in our relationship with God and God begins to reveal areas of our life that are sinful, what, it, what he intends to do that as a loving father is to bring us back to the foot of the cross and bring us back to the grace that he's shown us in punishing Christ instead of punishing us so that it begins to change and refresh our hearts and refresh our soul. Paul has literally spent 11 chapters in Romans showing us the gospel. He wants us to think about Jesus who justified us from the guilt and penalty of sin. He wants us to think about Jesus who has adopted us as sons and daughters, no longer enemies, but sons and daughters. Think about Jesus who, because of him, we receive grace and not judgment and wrath. Because of Jesus, we get the Holy Spirit. He wants us to think about the gift that God's given us. What's better than Jesus beside us is Jesus inside of us. The greatest gift ever is the fact that God himself resides inside of you as a believer. Because of Jesus, we now can have confidence that nothing will ever, nothing, no circumstance, no person, no sin, no nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not 
not because of you and your performance, but because of God's performance. That's security. He gives us confidence that God's never gonna give up for us. He's never gonna give up on us. That means that if you have a bad day, God's love for you is not wavering or shaken. God's love for you is secure in Christ. God's love for you never changes, not based on your performance. That's religion. God's love for you is secured in Christ. This is the gospel. And when we begin to think about it, when we begin to think about all that Christ has done for us, we will never get to the end of that. And as we begin to study God's word and we begin to go deeper into the gospel and what Christ has done for us, Paul says, in light of that, in light of you growing in your understanding of what God has done and who he is, present your body as a living sacrifice. That's why we teach God's word. It's why we sing about what God has done. Because what happens is in that, God does something. He moves us, which is what the Bible calls worship, seeing God for who he is and responding to that. The Bible says our proper response to the gospel is worship. It's serving the church, as Paul is gonna go on to say. It's serving in the church. It's serving as the church. That's what God has called us to do. And when we truly live our lives this way, it changes everything. How would it change your life if you lived every moment, every relationship, every day in response to the gospel? When I say in response, I mean with, with your eyes fixed on Christ and who he is. It would change everything. It would change uh, specifically how we love other people. Uh, it would change uh, how we serve other people. If we saw people the way God saw people, we wouldn't be so shunned by somebody who doesn't look like us or somebody that, that doesn't necessarily kind of fit into our category of a friend. We would love people the same way God loved people. Not only that, we would, we would give differently. We would be generous people, not just uh, in the church, but outside the church. We would look for opportunities to be generous. We would forgive other people the way Christ forgave other people. We would uh, respond to sin differently in our life because we'd recognize God doesn't reveal our sin to punish us. He reveals it to protect us and to grow us. It would change everything. So let me ask you a question. What motivates your service? Why, why do you live the way you live? Why, why do you put on a blue or an orange shirt? Or why do you go and serve people in our community? Why do you teach the kids that you teach in school? Why do you do what you do? God says, let's talk about the root of that. What if you saw your job, not as just an opportunity to get a paycheck, but an opportunity to live in response to the gospel, to serve the people that work with you? What if you saw your marriage not as an opportunity to just create a family and, and live out the American dream, but an opportunity to serve a woman or to serve a husband the way Christ has served us? It would change everything. Listen, if we would embrace the lifestyle of a servant, not just flip it on and off like a switch, it would literally transform every area of our life personally, but also would, would, would lead so many people to the kingdom of God. This is how people looked at the early church. They looked at the early church and they were like, these guys are different. 
Man, these people are giving their life for the sake of one another and giving their life for the sake of others. They count their life worth nothing if they can just live for their God and live for other people and serve them. It's like they don't even want to make their home in this world. It's like they're, they have a home in a different world. This is Christianity. This is what God intends for his people. The second question is not only why do we serve, but how do we serve? Who's our model? Who do we look to? Paul says, don't look to the world. Like the world's got nothing for you. The world tells you, live for yourself, man. Promote yourself. Try to get to the top, no matter what you gotta do to get there. He says, look to Jesus. Jesus is our example. This definition we see Jesus say throughout scripture, listen to Jesus' own words. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, what does he say? Serve. If you wanna be great in the kingdom of God, don't try, to, don't, try to, don't try to elevate yourself to the top. He says, just serve. Greatness in the kingdom of God is measured by service. That's the scorecard in the kingdom of God. Matthew 20, 28, the son of man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for so many. Maybe the most powerful picture of Jesus in the entire Bible. Listen, I read this with my son last night. I almost brought tears to my eyes thinking about this. It was Jesus getting down on his hands, on his knees, and grabbing a towel with his disciples and washing their stinky, dirty feet as an illustration. Even the guy that was gonna betray him, and he knew he was gonna betray him, he got down on his knees and he washed their feet and he said, this is who we are. This is what we do. Live your life to serve other people, counting other people more significant than yourself. That's exactly what the definition of service is, is sacrificing myself for the good of other people, for the welfare of others. He said, Billy, this sounds great, man. Like, this is awesome. I love what you're saying, but like, how do I even do that? Like, what, well, how do I live a lifestyle of service? Well, I believe Paul uncovers the secret to this in our passage. Verse two, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Paul says, if you wanna live the life of a servant, it's gotta start with how you think. It's got to be renewed. Your mind does not naturally think this way. We have to allow God and Christ and who he is and God's word to renew our minds, right? This is different than being renewed by our feelings, right? If you only serve when you feel like serving, you're setting yourself up to be a terrible Christian. You're setting yourself up to fail because listen, I wake up all the time and the last thing I wanna do is, is live for the sake of other people. I wanna live for myself. That's sin in me and it ain't going away. But what I have to do is renew my mind with God's word and say, no, I wanna live for others. The world's mindset is selfish. It's self-seeking. It's have it your way. Do what you wanna do. But the mind of Christ is different. What is the mind of Christ? I want you to listen to it. Philippians chapter two, verses three through eight. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Listen, we could talk about that verse all day. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others 
above yourself. The best marriage advice I have for any person in this room is value your wife, value your husband above yourself. The best parenting advice I have for anybody in this room is value your kids above yourself. The best Christian advice I have in this room is value God above yourself. If we will do that, that is the mindset of Christ. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. God himself, this is Jesus, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So here's my question. Are you conforming to the world are you being transformed by Christ? In your mind, are you conforming to the world? What shapes your thoughts? What shapes the way you think? Is it the world and people around you, even people in the church that aren't being transformed by Christ, are they shaping what you think and how you think? Are you being renewed by God's word and the person of Jesus Christ? If we want to live a lifestyle of service, we gotta quit looking horizontally and we gotta begin to look vertically. Because that's where our minds are renewed, is through the word of God. And then lastly, what will it cost? Not only why do we serve, what's our motivation, not only how we serve, who's our model, who do we follow, but what will it cost? I want you to listen to this, and I don't mean to be drastic or rash. These are the words of Jesus. He says, this is the cost to being a disciple. Listen. He says, large crowds were traveling. This is Luke 14, starting in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Well, Jesus just told us we need to love our families and love that, so we know that's not what he's saying. What is he saying? He's saying if you don't love Jesus more than anything else in your life, then you cannot be a disciple of Christ. He demands to be first in our life. He is first. He deserves to be first. And whoever, verse 27, does not carry their cross, which is death, who does not die to themselves and follow me cannot be my disciple. Listen, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost and see if you have enough money to complete it? Yes, we would. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and they weren't able to finish. What an idiot, right? 31. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? Yes, is the answer. If he is able, then he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask them for terms of peace. Verse 33, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Listen, we look at this, my first thought is, man, that is radical. Like, I don't know if I'm ready to do that, but this is Christianity. God says, if you want to follow me, you must be willing to lay your life down. 
And the good news of the gospel is that the life you're laying down is not better than the life you receive once you lay it down. But in our minds, if we can't live how we wanna live, then, it, then, then, it, then we feel like our life is over. But God says, you're not created to live how you wanna live. You're created to live for me and you find ultimate joy when you live for me. So anything in your head that says what you sacrifice is not worth what you get by following Jesus is a lie and is sinful. And so we must allow God's word to renew our minds so that we can begin to see what God is saying. But I don't wanna glamorize following Jesus. Listen, so many times I feel like I stand up here and try to persuade people to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is the hardest thing you will ever do with your entire life. It's not glamorous. Following Jesus, living a lifestyle of a servant, being obedient to the point of death is not an easy call. But it is the call of Christianity. Listen, when you think about it, it's going to require sacrifice. You are going to have to do things that you don't wanna do. It's not always gonna be convenient. It's not always gonna be comfort. It won't be comfortable. It's gonna require time and effort and energy. It's going to reveal your selfishness and weakness more than anything. It's going to humble you more than anything in your entire life. But it's worth it. I promise you, it's worth it. It's worth it because personally, nothing's going to grow you more. Nothing's gonna bring more life. Any man who lays his life down finds life is what Jesus says. Nothing is more, uh, more experiential, abundant life than living for Jesus. Listen, personally, nothing aligns us with God's will more. Nothing pleases God's more. Outwardly, nothing shows other people the love of God more than laying our life down and living for the sake of other people. Inwardly, outwardly, it's worth it. Because not only is God gonna do a work in you, God's gonna use you to do a work in other people and you're gonna get to the end of your life and be able to say, man, some things I did on this earth were worth it. There are people in eternity with me now, today, forever because of my willingness to sacrifice everything and follow Jesus. Do you want that? Do you wanna get to the end of your life and hear, well done, good and faithful Servant. Is that what we live for? Listen, our world, listen, the thoughts of the world is not telling you that. But God's word is telling us that. Live for the well done, good and faithful servant. This is exactly why Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be a servant. So the last question with this point, is serving something you do or is it who you are? I want you to think about that. Is, is there an on-off switch in your life or have you embraced the lifestyle of serving at church, in your home, with your, with your family, your kids, your wife, your, your husband, at work, with the people around you? Do you, do, you, do you walk into work with the mindset of I'm here to serve? I'm here to serve my, my coworkers. I'm here to serve my students or I'm here to serve these people at the ball field. Are you known more for grumbling and complaining or are you known more for serving, right? Heart check for all of us. Are we known as people of service? Are we giving ourselves away? Because if we embrace this mindset, this lifestyle of a servant, it will truly transform 
every part of our life. Secondly, what this passage teaches us is about God's design for his church. Let me read it one more time. Verse three. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. The first thing he deals with when it comes to spiritual gifts is pride. Why? Because nothing kills the work of God in and through us more than pride, than, a, than an idea that we don't need God. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, the church, though many, form one body. But each member belongs to the other. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraged, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. God has designed the church in a very specific way, and he did it on purpose. God's not interested in a one-man show in the church. But listen, every church pretty much I've ever been to and every church I've ever seen is all about one man, the preacher, right? He stands up and talks. He don't let anybody else do anything. Every decision comes straight through him. Listen, there's nothing wrong with authority in the church, but what I'm saying is God designed his church to be a team. Like this is a body. This isn't about one person. Listen, if it ever gets to a place where it's just about me, lo and behold, I don't wanna be a part of this church. That's why other people preach. The focus isn't the preacher, it's the word of God. That's why multiple people serve. One person can't do everything. We need people to play their part and do their thing because when they do, God's church flourishes. One body, think about your body, many different parts. You have a hand, you have a foot, uh, you have an elbow, all of these parts. You have fingers. All of these parts are important. When they're separated from the body, it's not good. We need all of the parts that God's given us and that's the same way he's designed the church all working together to glorify one person, not the preacher, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about a man. If you come to a church and you walk away saying, man, that church is awesome, the preacher's great, you're missing the point. And if I'm preaching a sermon that's not about Jesus and you don't walk away glorifying him instead of glorifying me, then I'm doing a wrong service or either you're hearing what I'm saying wrong. The Bible is a book about God. It's a book about Jesus. It's not about elevating people's gifts. It's about looking to Christ who gave us the gifts that we have. This is why we say here at Connection, every person has a purpose. That's why you'll see it on the shirts. You'll see it on the screen. You'll see it everywhere we go because we believe no matter who you are, when you are a part of the kingdom of God, God has a purpose for your life and the church can't be all that God intended it to be until you begin to walk in that gifting and that purpose that he has given you. I love to think about it like a football team. You know, you think about a football team. Yeah, some people are more glamored and glorified. Like my best friend was the quarterback. You know, everybody wants to talk to the quarterback. You know, he, all the people like him. He throws, he gets all the attention, he scores, blah, blah, blah. But he's nothing without the offensive line. Like I can say, hey, kill him. Nobody's done now, you know what I mean? Like you're dead. So that, that's the point. Right? There may be a person preaching up here that, that, that you see, or there may be people leading from the stage that you see, but listen, they're not to be worshiped or glorified because there's somebody who showed up at 6 a.m. this morning to set up everything. 
If you want to glorify somebody, glorify that person. But it's not about him or them. It's about us collectively doing what God has called us to do. And it's, that's the body of Christ. That's how God designed for it to work. God saves us to serve. We are a team. And if we want to embrace this, if we want to embrace God's design for his church, Paul wants to give us a couple things to help us do that. One, he wants us to be a humble servant. Letter A, be a humble servant. What, what, you say humility. What's all the humility talk about? Why does humility talk? Well, pride destroys. Pride, C.S. Lewis tells us that pride is the grandfather of all sin. Because what pride tells you is that you don't need anybody or you don't need anyone. That you can take it from here and you can do it yourself. There is no greater sin in the kingdom of God. But it's a silent killer. Like you can't hardly tell when you struggle with pride because when you have pride, everybody else is wrong and you're not wrong, right? So this is why you need good people in your life that can say, dude, you're prideful. And you hear them out of love and not out of judgment because Paul says, listen, if we think too highly of ourselves, we will never want to use spiritual gifts because the idea of using a spiritual gift says, God, what you wanna do in and through my life I can't do it on my own. I need you and the, and the Spirit to help me accomplish what you've called me to accomplish. It, 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 it produces humility in our life because what God has called you to do, you can't do it on your own. It should scare you to absolute death. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, not only can you do it, but God can do it through you in a way that you never thought or could imagine. It's an incredible picture of being humble. Pride keeps us from pursuing spiritual gifts, and we need to understand that. Secondly, he says, be a good steward. Not only, this is part of being the first letter, be a humble steward. Be humble and then be a good steward. The idea of a steward means that every saved person gets a gift. You've been entrusted with a spiritual gift by God. You didn't choose it. You didn't earn it. God gave it. It's a grace gift. I didn't get to choose to, to, to be a teacher or a pastor. Like I probably would not have chosen that. But God chose me for that. Just like you didn't choose your spiritual gift, God gave it to you and wants you to operate in it because you're living for him and not for yourself. No gift is better than another. All are essential, all are important. God has given you exactly what you need. The purpose of your spiritual gift is to build up the church, to steward it Humbly is what we need to be able to do. And so we need to understand that no matter who we are, no matter if we think God can use us or not, if we are a Christian, God has given us gifts to build his church, to, to reach people, to encourage and build up the faith of other people. And because of that, letter B, we need to value diversity. Value diversity. No Christian has all the gifts. Right, so well, it ain't a one-man show. One gift doesn't make a, a healthy church. Multiple diverse gifts make a healthy church. God wants us to learn to appreciate the gifts of other people. And, and truly, when you, you, you don't really, I mean, when you appreciate the gift of somebody else, you're appreciating God in them, right? So it's that picture. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts. Listen, some are permanent, some are transient, some are verbal gifts, others are nonverbal. Uh, some are teaching gifts, others are like service with our hands gifts. But what, what the gifts should teach us is that both word 
and deed, how we live, are important in the church. Both are equally important, how we talk and how we live our life. And listen, just because you don't have a gift doesn't mean that you don't practice that, right? So uh, some people read this and they're like, Billy, I don't have the gift of generosity, so you know the whole giving thing, I, I'm good with it, right? And I don't just use that, could be anything else, the, the prophecy, right? Uh, I, well, I don't have that gift. But the Bible also commands us to, to follow Jesus, right? So like, we, we can't say, hey, I'm not gonna serve because I don't have the gift of serving or, hey, I'm not gonna be a generous person because I don't have the gift of generosity. No, Jesus was generous. No, Jesus served. But a spiritual gift is different. A spiritual gift is something that God's giving you specifically to accomplish a specific purpose. And so we need to kind of differentiate those things. Six different lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. So don't read Romans 12 and think, man, I gotta fit into this little category. There's lots of gifts in the Bible, and I don't personally believe that all the gifts that we see in the Bible are all the gifts, right? God gives us whatever gift we need to accomplish whatever purpose he's trying to accomplish. And so we shouldn't read them like a check mark. oh, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. What we should do is say, God, I want to build your kingdom, equip me and give me what I need to do that. Right, but it's okay to kind of think through what, what they are and what they, you know, you see the gift of prophecy here, serving here, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy. All of these are great gifts, man. They're, they're great gifts that build up the body of Christ. I wanna not, not just focus on the gifts, but focus on people in scripture that we see utilize gifts. We see a girl by the name of Lydia in Acts chapter 16, verse 15. She gets saved. Paul leads her to Christ. She is a rich clothing maker. The first thing she tells Paul is, Paul, you need a place to meet? You come meet in my house. I have a big house. We can bring people in here. We'll reach people for the kingdom. God saves her, gives her the gift of hospitality. She begins to bring people in, and God uses it to build an incredibly healthy church. We need people with the gift of hospitality. Tabitha, who's a girl in Acts 9, we see her. Listen to how the Bible explains her. There was a disciple named Tabitha, and she was always doing good and helping the poor. Now, how would your life like to be, how would you like to explain your life as Billy was always doing good and helping the poor? Like that is an incredible statement. She had the gift of mercy. She lived her life always taking care of the least of these. We need people with the gift of mercy. Epaphras, listen to this. Paul says, he is always wrestling in prayer for you. Always wrestling in prayer for you. We need people with the gift of of prayer. We need people that are always praying because prayer unlocks the power of God. Prayer is what fuels God to do great things in the kingdom of God. You know, so you'd ask Billy, how do I how do I know what my gift is? Well, I'd tell you very simply, start serving. Just start somewhere. Listen, for me personally, I started serving in KK. Listen, I got kind of going first got a taste of the church and they were like, "Hey, we need somebody to come play dodgeball with the kids." I was like, "I like sports." I can do that. Next thing I know, I'm playing dodgeball and then they're asking me to lead like a little small group with the kids and teach them about a Bible story. And I'm like, all right, that's kind of weird. I don't, I don't know, I don't really know that much about the Bible. This is uncomfortable. Lord knows what I taught those kids at that point. But um, I did it. And then what happened is God began to fuel my fire for teaching. 
And the next thing I knew, I was leading a small group. And then the next thing I knew, I was being asked to be a, a pastor over the college ministry. Next thing I know, I'm planting a church in Vidalia. God has just really shown me, hey, teaching is something, not because I wanted it or I asked for it. As I just, people would constantly come up to me and say, Billy, when you teach, it's just so simple and relatable. It just really encourages me in my faith. And I'm like, yeah, that's great, whatever. I feel like an idiot. To, to that, still today, I'm like, man, I'm jumbled. I don't even know if people are listening to what I'm saying, but somehow God uses the way I teach to, to help encourage people. And that's what my gift is. And so lastly, not only do we need to value diversity, not only to use these people, but we gotta be able to maintain unity. This is the biggest encouragement in the Bible. Keep the church unified. Look to Christ. As we look to Christ, the church will be unified. There is nothing that divides the church more than spiritual gifts. Listen, we have an enemy that wants to divide us. He wants us to fight each other. He wants us to try to control the church like one person instead of the spirit. He wants us to judge each other based off of our differences. He wants us to separate into different denominations based off of what we think is important. Because how stupid does that look to the world around us? God wants us to be unified, to, to, to hear that we're better together, that, that when we fix our eyes on Christ and we listen to God's word and do what he says, that we are better together. So if you encounter somebody in the church that, man, the way they pray just kind of freaks you out. You ever been around that person? It's like, man, I don't, whatever they got going on, I don't really know about it. Or maybe you're a, kind of a Baptist, you like to kind of stick your hands in your pocket while we worship, and then you got somebody up front that's like raising, you know, straight charismatic Pentecostal. Nothing wrong with that. But like what's wrong with that is when you look at that person and say, man, that person's weird. I don't know if I can handle this church. I'm going somewhere else. Or you walk up and somebody doesn't look the specific way that you want them to look. So it's like, I don't know if I can be here. Like that's not the way God designed the church. God wants diversity. He wants different people from different backgrounds with different gifts. And he says, when the church becomes that, what he can do through a church is absolutely incredible. We need people that are passionate about serving the poor. We need people that are passionate about ministering to addicts or to athletes or to a, a specific type of people. We need people that are passionate about teaching our kids. We need people that are passionate about uh, leading us through music. We need people that are passionate about hosting small groups, leading small groups. We need people that are passionate about reaching people outside the walls of this church. And all of us should, should be passionate about some of that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's our gift. But we need people God is going to put things on your heart that are not on my heart. And you don't need to say, well, Billy's the pastor. We should just do what he wants to do. No, you should say, hey, God's put this on my heart. I'm the church as much as Billy's the church. I'm going to do it. Like that's the way God's designed the church to work. Listen, you come to me, we'll help you in any way we can. But when God puts something on your heart or a burden or a passion in you, that is a gift that he's given you to go to a specific group of people. And that's when the church starts getting awesome because the church is not about a gathering. It's about scattering out into our community and serving people out there as much as we're serving people in here. That is God's church. That's how he's designed it to work. And then lastly, I wanna show you what happens when we do this. When we embrace God's design for the church and when we embrace the lifestyle of service, number three, we can watch the kingdom grow. Listen, this is the, the most incredible thing about planning Connection Church Vidalia is coming back 
to my hometown, watching people that I know are not really religious, spiritual people get plugged in, start learning what the church is all about and the power of God at work within them, and then to watch God begin to use them to do incredible things. And I wanna use an illustration to do this. And so on the, on the, on the board, you should see our, our statement. Every person has a purpose. And there's four connectors, and this doesn't mean that if you're a connector, you're not important. It's just it's the four that we had pictures of, and I'm going to share a little bit about them. Um, the first one that I want to share about are Brandon and Clay. You see them up there. You may have seen them before, but Brandon and Clay show up every morning, every Sunday morning, 6 a.m. They're here. They're setting up everything that you see that's set up. They don't complain. They didn't even, I don't even know that we asked them to do it. They just said, what can we do to help? And we said, man, we'd really love to have people. Listen, our staff set up everything on Friday afternoons for, for, for years. And these guys said, what can we do to help? I said, man, this would be great if you guys would be willing to commit to do this. And they've been here consistently, 6 a.m. every Sunday morning for months now. And they're willing to sacrifice and say, man, it doesn't take, all it takes is effort to set up stuff, right? We don't really have to have that many gifts. We can just set up. Both of them get saved. They ask, how can we help the kingdom grow forward? How can we help the church, man? Well, just come set up at 6 a.m. And because of their willingness to do that, your kids are being ministered to and Jesus is being put on a level that they can understand. And nobody sees them, but they do it every Sunday. The second person I want you to think about is, is Cheyenne. Many of y'all know Cheyenne. Cheyenne serves with our student ministry. Cheyenne was actually a part of the first student group we ever had back in 2015. And God changed her life. She's baptized. And then now she's passionate about helping students grow, high school, middle school students. Every Wednesday night, listen, she's got a full-time job. Every Wednesday night, she comes and she has a small group of girls that she invests her life in and teaches them the best she can how to follow Jesus. Because of Cheyenne's willingness to sacrifice the kingdom of God is moving forward. The next person I wanna tell you about is a guy by the name of Morgan. Morgan is, uh, works at CentOS. Many of you guys know him. He gets up at 3 a.m. every morning to go to work. Pretty much every Sunday, he's got on an orange shirt and he's in our first through fifth ministry right here beside us. You hear him, the, the speaker's about to bust through the wall over there. They're having a great time. And he leads a group of kids, guys, and he teaches them about Jesus on a level that they can understand. And he says, listen, I know I got a job, but God's given me a heart for kids and I wanna use this heart for kids that I have to teach them about something that's gonna change their eternity forever. The last person is a guy by the name of Jordan. And you guys have seen him in the parking lot. Jordan uh, has served in every capacity you can ever think of serving at Connection Church. He's been on setup, he's, he's helped in the parking lot, he's led a connect group, he's hosted a connect group, he's, He's, he's now coaching a few other small group leaders. He's just open-handed. Hey, what do you need me to do? Like, what, what can I do to help the kingdom of God move forward? And listen to me. It's because of people that are willing to do whatever it takes to connect people to a growing relationship with Christ that we get to see life change. And I wanna show you another picture. This is a picture of my mom being baptized. And this was when I, when I was over in Statesboro. But listen, there were people serving there too. But I want you to know, this picture may not be special to you. But this picture is gold to me. Because this is somebody that I care about. This is somebody that I care about a lot. Who would have died and, and went to hell. But now instead, she'll be with me in eternity. 
because of people just like you who are willing to say, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. Because the next person that gives their life to Christ, because of the serving that we're doing, might be somebody that's close to you. It might be your daughter, it might be your mom, your dad, your friend, whoever it is. But I'm telling you, everything that God has done at our church is because of people just like you that say, I'm willing to leverage everything. Billy, I'm willing to be heart and soul with connecting people to a growing relationship with Christ because we're better together. That's how God designed the church to be. Listen, it may not be a sermon that transforms somebody's life. It may be the conversation they have in the parking lot before they get here. It may be the conversation they have at the ball field on the playground that transforms their life, but it's our willingness to say, God, I'm willing to serve and I'm willing to connect people to a growing relationship with Christ no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing. That is how God designed the church to lead. So let me ask you a question as we close today. Are you a spiritual contributor or are you a spiritual consumer? Listen, right now, we have about 40% of our church that actually serves in an area, which is, I'm, I'm not proud of that, but it, it's not that bad. Most of the time in most churches, it's like 10%. And so for some of you guys in this room, today your next step is to respond to the gospel and say, Billy, I'm willing to serve. I don't really know what my gift is. Maybe you do know what your gift is, but you say, I'm willing to, I'm willing to jump on board. Listen, I'm not forcing your hand. I would never tell you what to do, but what I'm saying is, if you want to follow Christ, that is your next step. And I wanna give you the opportunity to do that. Listen, you can stop by and see us. You can go online, CC Vidae, sign up to give. We'll get you wherever. But the best thing for you to do is to lock in to go to heart and soul. Because I don't wanna ask you to do something without first telling you what you're being a part of. And so if that's you, I want you to do that. Listen, if you're in here and you say, Billy, I don't even have a relationship with God. Well, don't get the cart before the horse. Listen. The best spiritual gift you will ever get is salvation and reconciliation and redemption that Christ has given you. That's the best gift. Listen, if you're trying to serve to earn the favor of God, you're missing the whole point because the favor of God is not earned, it's given. And that's the point of the gospel. So right where you are, I want you to bow your head. You'd say, Billy, I'm, I'm in this room. And man, I don't have a relationship with God. I don't even think about serving. And you'd say, but today I realize God's created me for more. God's created me not for myself, not to live for myself, but to live for him. But my sin has separated me from that. And I deserve to be punished by God. But instead of punishing me, he punished Jesus. And now through Jesus, I can be reconciled back into a relationship with God. And you'd say, Billy, that's, that's me. And today you wanna surrender your life to Christ. But you just raise your hand right where you are and you say, Billy, that's me, 100%, I know it. I wanna pray for you. Anybody in here, there's no shame. Say, Billy, that's me. So Father, would you make us into a church that not only serves when it's convenient, but God lives a lifestyle of service. God, would you transform this community, not because of us, but because of the Spirit's work in us and because of our willingness to live a lifestyle of a servant. God, would you help us figure out what our spiritual gifts are? And God, would you help us walk in them? So God, as we worship you in this last song, God, will we fix our eyes on who you are and on what you've done? And will we live our life as a response to that? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.